This is episode 323 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Rude Awakenings, Nightstand Preps for Late Night Emergencies, and How to Cook in the Wilderness with No Dishes. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. After years of preparedness, I realized that the key was having multiple streams of income that allowed me to prepare to pay down debt, to build an emergency fund and purchase the preps that I need. And I think you should consider this as well. To get more information, go to microbiz.biz or go to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. So let's go ahead and jump into our first article. It comes to us from survivalsullivan.com. And the title again is Rude Awakenings, Nightstand Preps for Late Night Emergencies. And regardless of where you are in your preparedness, this article touches all of us because we all sleep. And there's always the potential of something happening when we're asleep. So I think this is a great one to, uh, to listen to. Here we go. When the time comes to tuck tail and turn in for the night, most of us instinctively understand that we as humans are more vulnerable. Beyond the veil of sleep, our senses are eliminated or greatly reduced. Since time began, predators have roamed the dark, seeking sustenance when the prey is ripe for the taking. In response, to better face an unexpected threat in the wee hours, most make it a point to set a few tools handedly by the bedside. Weapons, light, a phone. This is smart, but fewer will anticipate other crises that may rouse us from our sound sleep, demanding instant action. The master bedroom is the default and natural safe room in the home for most, owing to the fact that we will be either defending or striking out from that room when responding to a late night noise or emergency. It makes sense to preposition certain items for easy reach and employment as soon as we shape the sleep from our eyes and do so in a consistent way so that we can rehearse to improve our chances during a live event. This does not mean you'll be fortifying your bedroom with barricades and gun racks or sleeping in armor with night vision goggles on, so don't worry about your spouse throwing a penalty flag on your design. In this article, I'll break down a few scenarios you have probably planned for and a few you may not have and offer my recommendations for each. The Witching Hour Worries A few things to consider when anticipating your response to any late night emergency Whether or not you were asleep, as night drags on and closes in on 2 a.m., your body and mind will likely be at their most sluggish. You can thank your circadian rhythm for that. Your circadian rhythm is essentially your body's internal timer and is the reason you feel alert and preppy at certain times and crave a nap or sleep at others. We won't go into a big dissertation on your circadian cycles as It is not entirely germane to this article, except to say that you should pay attention to it. Bad guys like to strike when the light is low and people are sleeping. Everyone is a little different and night owls do exist, but you can count on being more alert in the light of midday and starting to feel drowsy in the dark of night. 
If it is late night, early morning, and you are roused from sleep or very sleep deprived, you will most likely experience varying degrees of cloudy thinking and mal-disorientation until you shake out the cobwebs. This is of concern if you need to make a good decision and act quickly. It is for this reason that you should place any tools, bags, phones, and weapons the same way every time you turn in for the night. Routine and rehearsal are powerful allies in planning a quick, smooth response to a stimulus, and that certainly includes responding to an emergency in the middle of the night. Consistency is key. Another factor you may consider is what attire you sleep in. Easy killer, I won't rib you about your footies or Avengers PJs. Not too bad anyway. Okay, pretty badly. But I will recommend that whatever you sleep in, have a couple of pockets. That's all. You only have the two hands and trying at the minimum to manage a phone and a flashlight while opening doors or anything else is asking for fiddly fingers and fumbling. Now imagine the same scenario with a gun, light, and phone. Being able to pocket a phone or light easily to free up a hand is a perk. Trying to don clothing in response to a home invader is a bad play. Storage of weapons in the bedroom. I am addressing this now because the topic is of considerable concern to parents or anyone with visitors and is a major factor in the physical disposition of any weapons you'll keep at the ready, especially guns in the family home. I have been asked repeatedly over the years what the best way is to store a handgun in the bedroom at the ready within a household with small children. The default answer here is to acclimatize and train your children to the presence of the gun in order to neutralize their instinct to explore and interact with the new and especially the forbidden. Of course, some young children are just not ready for such teachings and sadly some older children cannot be trusted and some parents simply do not want anything less than positive control of the gun. It is up to the parents to assess their children's aptitude against their needs and act accordingly. In those cases where a quick access pistol safe is viable, they are often a great choice. Assuming a quality unit is purchased and the design of the keypad or opening system lends itself to simple, fast access of the safe's contents, in the context of the 3 a.m. all hell breaking loose wake-up call, don't forget, this is an affordable and easy to install option. It has the added bonus of being able to safely house the pistol during the day if desired. This is, however, a storage option that must be practiced with until entry of the code is second nature to ensure immediate access in time of need. Do not forget that keys and combinations can be compromised and protect them accordingly. Long guns are a little harder to store in a quick access mode as most large safes will be stashed in the closet or in another room entirely and if one is unwilling or unable to leave the long gun stashed on a shelf or somewhere in the room you will have to be committed to housing it in the safe during the day and retrieving it in preparation for bedtime at night. This is completely viable of course. One must simply not give in to laziness or complacency. My preferred solution, and one that is mildly controversial, is to simply lock the bedroom door when the parents retire at night. This ensures the gun will be ready for immediate glitch-free access if needed, and that no child may scoot into the parent's bedroom with silent cat-like tread to discover a handgun sitting on the nightstand. 
At any rate, locking the bedroom door will not preclude a parent from either hearing the cries of a small child or other things happening in the house, in most cases. If the child should ever wake in the night and need mom or dad, they can simply knock on the bedroom door. The Basics Most who need them will not need to be told, but if you require prescriptions, eyeglasses, or contacts, keep them by the bed. The same goes for any vital medication needed for sustaining a condition or disease, especially a medicine that is designed to combat a possible life-threatening condition with the heart or similar. Anything for treatment of asthma or other breathing problems must likewise be kept close at hand. If you have a family member that suffers from any condition, remember that you are their first responder. Keep their medicines in a drawer in the bedroom, if appropriate for storing them, so that you can assist them without delay in the event that they have a late night incident. Home Invasion The archetypal threat most folks are preparing for when we stash things near our bed. The bare minimum items you want to have placed close to your bed are your phone on its charger, a good handheld flashlight, and a weapon of some kind, preferably a gun, though a baseball bat or other club is a perennial favorite, as are knives or other bladed implements for those living in a non-gun permissive environment. If awakened in response to a possible threat, both the light and the weapon will be crucial for positive identification and reduction of a threat, the light also being valuable during mundane power outages or other happenings in hours of low light. Give careful thought to your choice of firearm. If using one, long guns require the use of two hands for best effectiveness, and if you will be leaving your bedroom in response to a possible intruder with the intent of retrieving children and withdrawing back to the bedroom, a handgun may be a better option to ensure that you can run the gun effectively with only one hand. Likewise, the length of a club or a bladed weapon should not make for difficult use in the tight confines of a hallway. Anything that must be swung in a large arc for best effectiveness should be considered with caution. Your phone should be available and powered in order to call any needed emergency services, relatives, neighbors, or whoever as required. A cell phone is obviously mobile, able to go where you do, but also invulnerable to having your home's phone lines cut by crafty intruders. It is far from failure-proof, but generally more reliable than landlines in the emergencies we're preparing for. If you live with a spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend, they may be staying behind in the bedroom using your phone or theirs to start calling who needs to be called. However, you decide to arrange these items on the top of the nightstand next to the bed, in a drawer or a dresser across the room. Make sure they are placed the same way every time so that you can access them even in darkness without fumbling. So let's talk about a fire. According to the National Fire Protection Association, in 2016, there were approximately 352,000 house fires in the U.S., resulting in over 2,700 civilian deaths. Fires are common and small mishaps can turn into towering pyres in very short order. Face it, homes and the things in them are very flammable and if you want to stand any chance of limiting damage, perhaps saving your home and your family's lives, you need to have a fire extinguisher. A fire extinguisher may spell the difference in being able to take a safe route out of your home reach a trapped family member, or prevent the lion's share of damage until firefighters arrive. Your extinguisher should feature good capacity and should be ABC rated. A fire extinguisher's advertised weight is the weight of the chemicals inside. 
the metal canister adds several pounds. The letters designate what kind of fires it is rated to extinguish. A for trash, wood, and paper. B for liquids and grease. And C for electrical fires because the chemicals are non-conductive. So an ABC rated extinguisher is good for nearly any kind of residential fire. Be sure to get a bigger one, not one of the little wimpy cans you use to douse your charcoal grill when it flares up. Don't, though, get one that is so massive you or your significant other cannot handle it during a fire. And yes, it should be in the bedroom. Don't get too bent out of shape. Your bedside isn't going to look like a prepper superstore. You can stash the extinguisher in the closet or even under the bed if you prefer. Considering it does not need to be secured like a gun or other weapon, accessing it quickly is more easily accomplished. Learn how to use and maintain your fire extinguisher properly. Most models have a safety ring to prevent accidental discharge and a trigger type handle. Pull the pin, aim at the base of the fire, press the trigger, and sweep back and forth until it's all out. Keep an eye on your pressure gauge throughout the year, and if they fall below the indicated acceptable levels, have your unit serviced at an appropriate vendor. If you ever deploy your extinguisher, even for just a little fire, have it professionally serviced and recharged. Another consideration for fire preparedness is having a stash of your most important documents and small valuables ready to roll in a small bag or satchel. Think cash, jewelry, paper copies or files on a flash drive of deeds, birth certificates, titles, diplomas, degrees, IDs, passports, and the like. In the event that the house is a total loss, this will keep you from making an emotional decision to attempt to retrieve anything while inside the home or going back in after making it out. If you already have a bob pack, consider keeping it yet stashed just inside the room or easily accessible in the closet with your additional burn bag right beside. You may even decide if the items are small and light enough to keep them in your bob as a matter of course. This will be highly situation dependent as some may not want to expose cash or items of great worth to everyday carry wear and tear, risk of theft, destruction, etc. Ultimately, the single best way to ensure you and yours survive a fire is by having a solid escape plan and rehearsal of that plan. Fire escape exercises must be conducted with the entire family at once and incorporate primary, secondary, and tertiary routes of escape from the home along with a prearranged meeting spot a safe distance away. This plan should be drilled until it is second nature. So imminent or natural or man-made disasters. Another thing to consider is the real possibility that some emergencies will mandate vacating the area as quickly as possible or taking shelter. This could take the form of a gas leak, approaching wildfire, tornado, major mob, pestilence, or rising floodwaters. When the balloon goes up, having the most crucial items you need close at hand will save time, not to mention stress. If you have 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, to grab what you need and climb in the car, having your pack with all of that entails, clothes, important docks, weapons, and more right there ready to strap on, tossing your vehicle or take down to your basement or other shelter means you will have your sus sustainment items and personal papers with you in the event that you don't get to come back or your home is destroyed. If you're 
able to stay post-disaster, you will have secured items that may prove critical in the recovery and cleanup phase or at least can furnish some comfort for you and yours until such time as you can evacuate or find better lodgings. It is true that you should never waste time with things when people's lives hang in the balance. But with even a few minutes, notice anyone who is prepared, organized, and staged for a hasty evac or shelter in place will benefit from taking their survival and sustainment items with them. The list. If you just skim the article or want a handy checklist, here are the items you might consider staging on your nightstand, near your bed, or in your bedroom. Glasses or contacts if needed, medicine if needed for condition, phone and charger, flashlight, weapon, firearm, club, knife or other blade, a fire extinguisher, a burn bag, small for evacuation of vital documents and valuables from your fire, and then a bob, packed, may incorporate the burn bag above. You may not want or need to emplace every item on this list depending on your living arrangements and family situation. Not all startling midnight emergencies will require the use of force. Some require you to save your house from fire. Many will require you to evacuate your home, town, or even your region. A smart individual will have the most critical items for dealing with each stage close at hand in their bedroom to minimize time wasted, moving to equip needed tools, or possibly having to give ground or expose themselves to a dangerous intruder. When your feet touch the floor at 3 a.m., make sure the things you need now are within arm's reach. Do you keep most needed items in your bedroom or stashed elsewhere in the house? Have you made plans for dealing with various threats and emergencies that may arise in the night? Let us know what steps you are taking in the comments. All right, guys. So uh, there are some comments here. People have uh, um, you know, made some suggestions as far as uh, different things like uh, clothing. Somebody said, you know, make sure you have uh, clothing that you can kind of put on uh, very quickly if you have to. I mean, I know that he talked about your PJs. Uh, you might want to have something with pockets there. Uh, you know, I thought that was interesting there. Um, someone said that if you have uh, maybe like a second floor, you might want to get like a rope ladder and just make it easy for kids to deploy. Uh, that would be, you know, something that you might want to think about. Um, you know, somebody said here, uh, Steve said, uh, some good ideas. I'm a senior citizen. I've learned the value of putting items in the same place every night. And I think that is so important and just being consistent, knowing where things are. I mean, you know, or, you know, at the very most one or two places, like, you know, that you're always going to put your keys here on this place or you're always going to put your phone here if it's not on you it's going to be here or on the charger or whatever i think that's important how how much time do we waste looking for things around our house i mean if that's you maybe it's time to put some action you know to this and and start you know figure out some some specific places i mean things that you always lose right but then putting them in specific places all the time just make your life a little bit easier So guys, that's over at survivalsullivan.com. And like always, I'll link to it in the show notes. Our next article comes to us from Backdoor Survival. This is an interesting one. It's called How to Cook in the Wilderness with No Dishes. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Knowing how to cook in the wilderness without a lot of the modern conveniences is a skill worth honing. There are a lot different ways to create a great meal with very little. Let's start out with some basic methods and explore more advanced cooking techniques. 
I owe a mention to Bradford Angier's classic book for helping inspire this post and giving me some of the methods to share with you. I recommend this book for your prepper library. It has a cool rubberized cover, so it is a durable book if you need to take it outside. Oh, and my husband, Matt, for brainstorming and suggesting some other ideas. And uh, there is a link here to the book if you're interested in, in going and checking that one out. All right, so the first one is stick meat. Cooking meat on a stick is the classic way to cook without dishes. Small game can be skinned, gutted, and cleaned and roasted on a stick, either over or near a fire. You have to be careful and turn it some to ensure even cooking. Also, you want to make sure that it doesn't dry out too much. Greasier meats usually are not too bad and may even spatter a bit, so be careful cooking. Fish cooks well on a stick. You can roast fish like a hot dog. Make sure to choose woods that won't leave an unpleasant taste or that have toxic properties. Hard woods work well. Resinous woods should not be used. Cooking on a rock. Rocks near a fire or in the center of a fire can be used to cook on. This can take some time and you definitely want to make sure your rock is clean or let it burn off a bit. Remember that thinner cuts cook faster, so use your pocket knife to cut meat and veggies down to size. For more even cooking, you may want to get a rock and set it in a spot where you can build your fire up around it. Cooking in clay with fire. If you live in an area where clay is abundant, you can use it to form a barrier to keep moisture and heat in while cooking meat and veggies. I have mostly heard of this being done with fish. Native Americans are the inventors of this method. Take a fish that you have gutted and cleaned and form clay around it. This clay encased fish can be put in a fire and cooked. To eat simply allow to cool enough to break the clay open and then eat it up. Animal skin and hot rocks. This is one I've never heard of. In a survival situation, you can use an animal skin as a makeshift pot for boiling water or making a soup or stew. While getting the right amount of calories and fats you need to survive is important, so is staying warm. Creating a nourishing broth, veggie, and meat dish can be done using the following method. Heat and butcher some small game. Dig a hole and place hide in it. Notice that this is dependent on you being able to skin an animal well enough that you don't leave a hole in the hide, so be careful. On a larger animal, you may not need the whole hide anyway, so cut off a piece that you know is free of holes. Make sure to cut up meat or foraged veggies small so that they cook fast. Slow cooking veggies are not the greatest for this method. You can do it, but you may have to heat a lot of stones to get a decent result. Make a fire and throw in smooth, clean stones. These will need to get as hot as possible. Add water to your skin bowl. When stones are very hot, use whatever method you have to throw them into the hole. Cover as well as you can if you have anything at all. The heat from the stones will cook your food. Dry and smoke on rocks or racks. If you are in need of a way to make something you have caught or butchered go further, then smoking and drying can help extend the life of your food supply. The old people in Cherokee in the mountains of western North Carolina did not have ball canning jars and pressure canners. Smoking and drying were done often. Salt makes it safer and more long-lasting. Cooking in bamboo. Large diameter bamboo can be used to boil water and even cook rice and a variety of meals. 
The picture above is an example of how to do this. Just make sure that you cut the bamboo so that you have sealed segments that will hold water and food. Wrap meats in leaves and place on coals. Fish and other fast cooking cuts of meat do well when wrapped in leaves and allowed to cook. You can use any leaf you want as long as it is from a tree or plant that is not toxic. I have seen articles where people have used kazoo leaves. Ideally, you will have large leaves, but you can also cut meats down to smaller size. If cooking meats other than fish, make sure to cut them thin enough so that they cook up fast. If you have any spices or grease to use, you can put some in the packet you make. Cook on a spit. It can take a little bit of setting poles and carving a few sticks, but you can make a primitive spit for roasting meats on. Just be careful to not overload your spit. Turning the meats doesn't have to be done constantly, but you will want to turn it some, so plan your spit accordingly. The basic concept is two sticks with a fork shape on each end and a long pole to lay between them. Roasting larger meals. Pit barbecue is a popular thing in the south where we live. The art of cooking an animal and some veggies in a pit is something you see in a lot of cultures. In Hawaii, they cook pigs in pits dug in the sand and use a different variety of sauces. If you are out in the woods and need to cook a whole animal, then digging a pit and getting a bed of coals can be the way to go if you have some time on your hand. You can suspend the carcass on a pole if you are concerned about burning due to being directly on hot coals. Some people wrap whole animals in leaves to protect and keep moisture in as it cooks. The pit can be covered with bows of non-toxic trees or plants to help keep the heat in. Cooking in a rough bushcraft style takes time. Some of the methods I talk about in this post are more time-consuming than others, but they are options when many people think they have little or no options at all. I will never say that some of these methods are ideal in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes it is hard for everyone to realize that in a survival situation, they are going to have a lot more time to focus on the essential needs. You are going to be completely focused on food, shelter, and overall health. If you have kids and other dependents, all of a sudden, your duties are going to be 100% dedicated to meeting the basic needs. They can help out too and will be focused but might need some better direction. In order to make the best use of your time and ensure a good cooking fire, you should get your fire going while you are preparing your food. A good pile of cooking coals often requires a fire to burn down for an hour or more. If you are entrenched in an area for an extended period of time and there is multiple people, then cooking or keeping a fire going may be something you just do for the whole time anyway, especially in cold weather. Alright, so a modern convenient way to cook in the wilderness with no dishes. So maybe you don't want to use dishes, but you also don't mind a little bit of modern ingenuity. The aluminum foil pack is the way to go. Cooking meats and veggies in aluminum foil is a classic hack for barbecues or when you don't want a messy pan to deal with. For camping trips and excursions into the bush, a small roll of aluminum foil may be about all the cooking accessories you need. And that just brings back so many Boy Scout memories for me there. We loved doing, uh, we called them silver turtles back then. Just love that. All right, so practice now. Plan a prepper dinner party. <laughs> like any bushcraft style, I recommend practicing during good times rather than bad. 
This can be a lot of fun. If you have friends and family that want to learn, then cooking like this can be a fun skill to practice together. If you really want, you can plan complete prepper dinner parties around learning how to cook without a lot of dishes. Practicing now will help you have better results if you find yourself in dire circumstances. Think about what cooking without dishes can mean when you are out on the trail. All right, guys. So, uh, And there was uh, one comment here that I thought was very interesting. Uh, see, Dwayne left one uh, about a grouse where his dad had cooked it in a... Um, with mud he just kind of like you know packed it in mud and then then they cooked it in the ground and he said you know he didn't even didn't even take the feathers off or whatever but the feathers came off and it just you know it tasted fine it was good so uh, very interesting there and again that's over at backdoorsurvival.com uh, i think it's good to have some of those uh, ideas in your in your back pocket well everyone that's it for episode 323 hey don't forget to subscribe to the show head on over to the prepper website podcast.com that way you never miss another episode of sweet prepper goodness hey and don't forget to connect with me online uh, i have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes and also over at the prepper website podcast.com and with that choose to live a more self-reliant life choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind until tomorrow stay prepped and aware Peace.